the sweet vindication of Laval beating Montreal on one point on a rouge just warmed this cold heart of mine up so much. Cataban, you finally feel the pain that I felt. Welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. It is another year and another Western Mustangs Gates Cup championship. uh, And of course, a back-to-back championship over their historic rivals in the Queens Golden Gales. Final score in this one, the Western Mustangs 44 and Queens 16. Where to begin, where to begin, where to begin. Because in many ways, the actual football that we'll be talking about Maybe less interesting than some of the window dressing that'll go around talking about this game. Uh, we'll do a little discussion of the U Sports semifinals that'll come out um, as I sit here in London. It's currently snowing, which I have to imagine is a Night King esque omen of Glenn Constantine and his Rouge R preparing to come to London for that said semifinal. But let's not start way there. Let's start with our two beautiful other hosts that we have in Nate Hobbs Tom, and Tom Sterling. Nate, we got to start with you. You were here in London checking out the action, and I have to imagine that solely by virtue of your lack of a presence in Tom's basement in Hamilton, <laughs> along with myself and our good friend Dakota Vine, led to not only your Queen's Golden Gales losing, but arguably worse than they lost last year at home. How do you feel about knowing you single-handedly are the cause, the sole perpetrator for Queens losing back-to-back Yates Cups to the historic rival in the Western Mustangs. What do you have to say about this? You know, I was hoping that wouldn't get back to them, but um, <laughs> here we are. You know, now I'm at the I can only hope that they don't listen to the podcast, man, because, uh, you know, yet another time I've let them down. So, <laughs> yeah, you know... <laughs> I, we got it. Um, I'm down. We'll just move on to Tom. Tom, we had a lovely afternoon watching some football. Uh, how are you feeling having uh, had a uh, almost 24-hour period to digest what we were able to uh, watch yesterday? I mean, great quality football. I think London being London and the uh, weather being what it is in London, that certainly came into play. Uh, once again, you know, last week we were talking about how uh, with Laurier and with Ottawa that they really had to deal with the wind. I think this week we had the Kingston really having to deal with uh, the snow. But it was interesting because certainly in the beginning part of that game, Western was certainly the sloppier team, but we can get into that a little later on. But for sure, once again, weather t- taking a big factor in the, this week's game. Yeah. And you know what? Honestly, like there's so many things that I think will just come up in our discussion of the game and we'll get into some of the other conferences, championships um, as we uh, as we sort of finish up on that. So I I say we just hop right into it and we'll kind of let it all play out uh, as it unfolds naturally. Uh, So once again, final score in this one, Western 44, Queens 16. And, you know, Tom, you brought up some of the sloppy play. And Nate, you were kind of talking about this on our our preview pod. I'm assuming it was the preview. Maybe it was going into the Laurier game about how Western sometimes are the cause of their own, you know, demise. Or there's probably a better turn of phrase that I'm just not quite uh, hitting on the head there. Um, And as Tom alluded to early on, it kind of felt like, oh, wait, are we like, is this really is this really happening right now that they are going to be the team that doesn't handle the weather all that well? And, you know, Queens looked like they were doing all right, running the ball, getting a little bit of that mojo going. What was the vibe in the stadium early in the early going when it did feel a little bit like Western wasn't really handling all the elements all that well? Yeah. Well, I mean, the vibe in the stadium was, was, was terrific in general in terms of just the spectacle and event, you know, I didn't been to a Yates Cup since I think the one in person since the one you guys were in all the way back in 2012. So, you know, it's been a while and, you know, there's a little a little something extra in the air when you get to the stadium and all that. And, you know, when you add in the snow factor and you get to get to stare at a pretty little picture for the next couple hours, then, hey, you know, it doesn't hurt. It's a, it's a great environment. But in terms of the game, I, I think, you know, I, I mean, honestly, Queens fans, you had to feel pretty good going through the first half. And I mean, not to say that it was always perfect because it's hard to look at this game on its face and having watched it and say just in general, they're like, 
Western is not just the better team and executed better in basically all phases minus those mistakes. But um, you look at it and it's, it's, it's 13, nothing. It could be 19, nothing if I'm not mistaken, right. Barring those, those bad field goal snaps. And then you get that touchdown before halftime. So, I mean, you're looking around and saying, Hey, this is, this is about as almost as good as you can ask for really playing against this Western team. And, you know, we're all sitting there with our fingers crossed, hoping Greg Marshall calls, you know, another double reverse like he did all the way back in 2017 against Laurier. But um, no dice today. And, and you know, we'll get, get into the third quarter a bit. But, you know, I think mistakes is kind of what you're holding on to for Queens. And I remember, like, just throw the ball, guys. Throw the ball. Throw the ball. Don't run the ball. The snow was almost a bad thing for Queens because at Forest Western, they couldn't – they had no options really to screw around and it really forced them to, to be the best version of themselves, which is a power running team. So um, yeah, for me, the mistakes, it, it definitely gave hope, but you know, in the end, I think it was pretty clear um, who's the better team on the day. I, you know, I appreciate off the jump you saying uh, you were in intense for the eights cup that me and Tom were in because you Nate probably had a better seat in that game than I did because you were probably being recruited by both of those squads and I was sitting with the uh, scout team guys for Guelph uh, wherever we were checking out the action Uh, Tom I assume was actually in the trenches helping his uh, uh, Marauders win a Yates on their way to a a second Vanier Cup appearance in two years Uh, Tom you know I I don't remember I'm looking at the box score seeing Edward Winati had the carry so he must have been you know I I don't know what we missed in watching it when I guess he went down um there's part of me when we look at this game and you know we kind of joked about you know Nate kind of joking about like oh I don't know if the Queens uh folks listen uh, to what we talk about and 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 I'm I'm sure anyone who actually is involved with these teams if they do listen they don't care a lick what we say one way or the other there's part of me, and this goes beyond just our diagnosis of the OUA, OUA football, but there's part of me that looks at what Western did where not knowing that Winati actually did make an appearance where part of me in sort of thinking about this last night thought, did Western just take the opportunity in the OUA championship to say, you know what, to all these bums out here saying that our running game, that our MVP running back has to split carries and as a result doesn't get the benefit of being the sort of a bell cow of a JP Simonkinda. What we're going to do is we're going to sit our arguably our second team OUA All-Star and arguably a first team a first teamer had it not been for Mr. Keon Edwards. We're not going to play him and once again obviously that wasn't seemingly not the case and we're just going to show you what happens when you just give Keon Edwards the ball. He carries it for 24 times to the tune of 260 yards, one touchdown and a long of 81, which was so spectacular. The camera people had trouble keeping up with it. Uh, Obviously, as Nate highlighted, the weather made it so that that was going to be the way they attacked it, though that's obviously how Western wants to attack it. But my goodness, like, talk about a, a crowning moment coming off of his literally being crowned MVP of the league. Yeah, no kidding. Not, you know, less than a week or less than two days after we released the pod saying, hey, you know, this is why we think JP probably should have won or maybe Ottawa really had. It's like Keon Edwards specifically was like, you know what, at the 55, I'm going to show you why I'm the OUA MVP. Like, not only did he have the numbers and the stats and everything, but to watch him run the ball was just amazing to see at any given point. He was carving up the Queens defense. He was not going down after the first or second hit on every single occasion. It took, you know, no less than two or three Queens defenders to get him down onto the ground. And he really just showcased how much of a better class that he is in in that top tier of the OUA. He was really impressive to watch. And the almost the hilarious part is that you know, leading up to this game, we've been talking so much about the Queens stable of backs that they have. And, you know, they've got your Jerry Asari's and everybody else, Yan Longa's. And then Edward Wadati goes down and you see Keanu Yazbek. And he finishes seven attempts for 76 yards and two touchdowns. And then Troy Thompson. And then you start to see, oh, no. Western also has a stable of backs. They just have two unbelievable horses up the front that they've never had to use anybody in behind. Uh, 
So they have the depth as Western always does, but they have a stud of an athlete in Keon Edwards. And he certainly showed his stuff in that last game. Yeah, uh, man, oh man, you know, there was a really uh, great point you mentioned there of just how he was breaking through first and second contact, which once again, going back to when we talked about, I think it was the Ottawa Queens game in how JP wasn't always having the most success if his if he if he was getting touched. Um, you know, in the backfield at the line. And, and I'm not now taking this opportunity to now let's gas up Keon and let's take down JP. That's not how I operate. Just just because I think that was a real... And, and we've obviously seen JP run over dudes when they, you know, do make contact in the backfield and and uh, a number of times. But like, wow. And, and, you know, Donovan Bennett on the call really did a great job of highlighting how he's always moving forward. He never, he never, you know, he's never losing yards, even if he's, you know, not gaining, having a big gainer. Um, You know, we talked so much about the impact that was going to, at least we sort of, uh, as, as, as um, moronic uh, offensive linemen, we're going to have, if we saw some of these players, some of these offensive linemen uh, take the field without sleeves on, Nate, your guy in Richard Burton going sans sleeves, sans gloves, like a freaking, you know, from like the 1950, like Cleveland Browns. He, he should have been wearing 77. <laughs> 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 like he's playing for Vince Lombardi or something like that. Racks in seven receptions, 104 yards. Obviously, this is going to be a Western heavy podcast. So just kind of taking some of the opportunities to talk about some of the like awesome things we saw from Queens. And, you know, you highlighted, you know, in talking about probably going back to our preview part of the whole season and looking at this as a possible rematch, how impactful not having him in that last year's Yates Cup was. Once again, in the grand scheme of this game, didn't really play a factor, but what a gutty performance by Burton out there. Uh, like, what did you make watching him in person? I mean, it's nothing but a pleasure, you know, you, you kind of knew how special this kid was from, from when he was, you know, catching balls back in second year behind Osikusi and Del Bracco, but you know, he was the real deal. And this was just the perfect summation of kind of who he was as a player and, and his career. I mean, there were several occasions where, it was just, you know what? He's got one-on-one, man. I'm, I'm, we're going to throw it up to him and give him a chance because that, that is our best shot at a chunk play. Western did such a good job of limiting those big plays. And, you know, he was able to come down with a couple of them. And, you know, time and time again, he he was really, in large part, one of the only things that Queens had going on offense. And I think, in general, those veteran guys on Queens deserve their flowers because you look at those guys – you know, and I think about the guys that were there in 2018, my last year, finishing three and five, and, you know, the coach is is not there anymore, and you start a new program, and it is now your responsibility to shepherd a team into a new era. And I think about guys like Richard Burden, James Keenan, the Carabin brothers, Kelowna, um, you know, Wishart, guys like that. I mean, really – being sort of the architects of, of this Queens turnaround and kind of this culture change, I think, you know, it would be remiss from, from someone like me to say that those guys, you know, have done such an outstanding job and absolutely deserve their praise because looking at where Queens is today. And I think, you know, talking to people after the game is, you know, we're upset we didn't win, but when was the last time Queens went to back-to-back Yates cups in general, you know what I mean? And, and it did, they felt last year, like this team was ahead of schedule. And if you told me this in 2018, I'd be like, damn, Damn, I would not be expecting that so soon. So, in general, the program's in a good place, but uh, not quite our time yet, obviously. Yeah, and you know, mentioning all those, all, all the the youth on the team, obviously as well. Silas Hubert, um, if they can manage to keep him in Canada following the year he had uh, with the Golden Gales this year, you obviously mentioned how you know them having to throw up some bombs to Richard Burton was you know a, a necessity based on where this game got to in that third quarter and you know in in sort of the sports prognostication which we all you know dabble in from time to time maybe on a weekly basis uh, through the OUA season there's always that kind of thing that you fall into the trap of with football where it's like well we look at the rushing numbers for Queens real quick 
Kassar, only 12 attempts, 56 yards. And one might think, oh, well, they got away from what made them so great. They weren't running the ball. It's like, well, they couldn't run the ball because once the game gets out of hand, you just can't afford to do that. And you look at Evan Hillock and, you know, people obviously make those just absolute goonish comments of like, oh, he's the uh, Trent Dilfer of whatever. It's like, well, why would they need to have him throw more than 14 attempts? He still had three touchdowns, 222 yards. He's 10 for 14. Like, why would anyone look at this like in any other way, like like what Western did and and try to like tease apart anything less than just um, like the exceptionality that was their performance on the day. Um, But let's go to, Alex Freakin, because as we're kind of talking about, and Tom, I'll throw this your way, um, and obviously I definitely want to get Nate to hop back on this as, as a you know former Queens quarterback. the The nature of the game leads him to have to throw thirty three attempts in this game, go seventeen for thirty three, two hundred twelve yards, no TDs, one interception. Um, you know, we knew this was going to be a tough game for him without the weather being what it was. Um, you know, Rob Panabaker with that late touchdown stifles the perhaps backdoor cover by Queens. I don't know, Nate, I want to get your take on on where the spread uh, wound up in there. But Tom, you know, watching Vreekin out there, um, you know, talking about last year, Queens being a little ahead of schedule. They still kind of are in that sense where, you know, maybe this is where we thought they could be in 2022. But we assumed it was going to be with number seven there, and maybe 2023 would be with Vreekin. Um, You know, putting aside almost the outcome of the game, because I think that's unfair to levy that on him in any ways, just based on sort of what you saw as his presence, the kind of moxie, all those intangible things for this young man, his first Yates Cup appearance um, in a hostile environment, in hostile weather, particularly for a quarterback. What did you make of the performance of young Mr. Alex Vreekin? I think this guy has shown that the sky really is the limit for him. Um, He's shown some really great abilities. And I think the areas that he is lacking is purely based on experience with the status and the weather in this game and how everything went. I think even if they had James Keenan in this game, it wouldn't have been too much of a difference, not to take anything away from James Keenan. Obviously he's one of the best quarterbacks in the OUA when he's healthy, but because of, you know, the snow and the wind and everything else, it was really hard to throw the ball just in general. But I think where James would have done better in this kind of scenario is just understanding and having played in more games and maybe having dealt with more weather and dealt with more uh, different adversities in that sense. That really was the only thing that I could say that would be a negative against Alex Freakin. I think the kid was fantastic. He took off and ran a few times. I would have almost liked to see him do that a little bit more, but that Western front was really pressuring him all game. So he was doing the best with what he did. You know, he relied on his fifth-year receiver, Richard Burton, which, by the way, I do want to give a a quick shout-out to Richard Burton. You know, we we mentioned it before. As an offensive lineman, there is nothing that fires me up more than seeing a skill player with nothing on the sleeves. No sleeves, no gloves, no tape, no nothing. Richard Burton, you are a certified nail gun. That was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So, with that out of the way, uh, like I said, Alex By Milwaukee Tools, of course, right, Tom? Yes, of course. Of course. Uh, But Alex Vreekin, phenomenal, uh, phenomenal job, quite honestly. You know, 17 for 33, it doesn't tell the entire story. There was a lot of times, quite frankly, where, you know, sure, there were some balls that weren't thrown properly, but there were some drops. And just because of the weather, that's how the way things went. But like I said, the sky is completely the limit for this kid. I think each and every year, he's just going to get better and better and better. And I wouldn't be surprised Like Nate said, you know, this kind of Queens Western is shaping up to be the Cleveland uh, Cavaliers versus Golden State Warriors of our time. And if Vreekin continues to get better and better, there might be uh, there might be a future where the Golden Gales might be a little bit more golden. However, it is not today, but he did great. Nate, I want your thoughts on Vreekin. Um, But of course, as I mentioned, too, this was a uh, 28 point uh, differential in this game, uh, in a game that had a 25 and a half, um, point spread, uh, in the favor of the Mustangs, of <laughs> course, um, on the broadcast, uh, and our, our friend, uh, Deshaun picked up on it on Twitter as well. And, uh, Tom, uh, 
uh, Dakota and myself absolutely were just it, 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 freaking out trying to skip to the core of this odd moaning that was happening in the background of the broadcast. Was that was that you in, in when the pick happened for <laughs> <laughs> with Panna Baker and realizing that because maybe you took Queens to cover that 25 and a half? Uh, I want your freaking thoughts. But how was the how was the vibe? I imagine maybe you spent some time in, in, in the beer tent with some of the guys uh, were people. Uh, miffed at all by what the final score was in terms of the the differential or was that not really on top of mind for uh, folks? if anything no one was no one was that vocal about it less <laughs> let's say uh, but you know long story short man I'm, I'm i'm 50 bucks poor today that's 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 all i have to say about that but i think i think tom hit it on the head in terms in terms of freaking i mean Look for for a first year starter to kind of go into this in the situation where he he wasn't planning on doing this before the year started or anything like that. But I mean, you know, to be in this situation, there's never a point where I, I was like, oh man, he's rattled. Right? No, man, the the kid was in it the whole time. He was poised. He was composed. He made plays that he had to make. You know, he he kept the team alive for I think, you know, as long as as their shelf life really realistically was gonna last in the game and. You know, went above and beyond a couple times. And, you know, let's give Western a ton of credit because, you know, you look at that defense and I think, you know, this is really, I think, kind of been, I mean, they always kind of fall a bit under the radar, this Western defense. But I think this is, you know, up there um, in terms of what they're capable, what they've been capable of doing over the years. And just the fact that they, they were suffocating. I mean, the, the Queens running statistics, they're fine. You know, I think it's like four and a half yards per carry or whatnot. And, you know, the passing stats are what they are. But, I mean, just their ability to keep everything in front of them. And, like, when you're playing quarterback and you know the deep shot's not there, it's one thing. But when you know you're throwing those in-breakers and those short passes and they're just sitting there waiting to drive on it, you know you're screwed. And you know every single throw is going to be tough. It's going to be contested. And you're nervous every time letting that ball go. And, man, the – the defense from the Western DBs was was suffocating for for a lot of the game. Yeah, and also when you know that the way that ball comes out of your hand may not be the way it looks as it's hitting your receiver's hands, and even if it's hitting them in the hands, the weather might not make it you know as smooth a catch as it would be in practice uh, in in more uh, in more apt conditions. And in general, I mean, I think you look at sort of each team's ability to generate big plays. And that was, to, in a, and to a large extent, you know, one of the big stories of the game. I mean, is it three of Western's touchdowns came, the first three touchdowns at least came on those huge plays. You had the bomb to Magnate Jones, you know, you had Keon Edwards breaking one. And finally the, what I think, what I think was, was the daggers, the one across the middle to, uh, was it Griffin Campbell? Seth Robertson. Seth Robertson, who then proceeded to kick the oil thigh. Um, <laughs> what a celebration that was. Um, but I think you look at Queens, and in terms of big plays, they didn't really have much. And I, obviously that's by design of that Western defense. And that's something we highlighted even last week in the Laurier game. You know, they're just so good at this. And, you know, turns out on the other side, they're pretty good too. So, um, I mean, for me, it kind of, that was for Queens, it was always a slog kind of getting things going or getting in the even position to score points. It felt like it took forever. Whereas Wesson, it was like, you know, at any point, if Keon broke that first level defenders, he could be gone. You know what I mean? And you're just so set up and so focused on the run that guess what? We could play action and throw over the middle. And guess what? He might just run for 80 yards after because you got no one left. Or, you know, we can play action. We just throw a little screen and you're all going to bite and we're just going to be gone. So, I mean, it was just such a tough task uh, for, for Queens on both sides of the ball. Tom, I'll give you last words. Any last thoughts on this game before uh, we, we we call it a close on, on our OUA season of 2022? Yeah, I really wanted to, you know, we were talking before this game kind of started about the superb offensive and defensive line play on both of these teams here. And I think it's fair to say that Western showcase that they had the stronger O and D line. Certainly, you know, many of those runs by Keon Edwards, it's it wasn't like they were doing stretch or toss plays trying to get outside of the defense. They were running right up the gut, you know, the Western O line creating 
holes and massive gaps for Keon to run through. And then Keon being Keon makes a couple guys miss, drags a few defenders and just goes and, and takes off with it. But the running attack from them was fantastic. There was very few times where a Queens defender was getting into the backfield and making a, a play like that because that Western O-line was so good. And, you know, you kind of highlighted the uh, JP Metris award winner in Silas Hubert. And for the most part, it was pretty quiet. He did a lot of great things where, you know, if there was any hint of running outside, he was right there and he was ready to make plays. But I think by design, it was, we're going to go right up the gut. We're going to avoid the edges where probably Queens is the strongest on that defense and just try to attack those defensive tackles and get our boys up to the second level. And they did that consistently and they did it really well. So the Owen D line showed up for uh, Western in this one. And anytime you have any kind of weather effect, you need your Owen D lines to be, you know, damn near perfect. And they pretty well, pretty much were. So that I think is a huge factor into why Western won by the, uh, the margin that they did. And I think that's a good segue into, well, saying, saying goodbye to oh yeah nate did you have yeah i just have a, a oh, couple sorry. more a couple oh, more things yeah, please, I just, please one thing i wanted to highlight in terms of game flow and i mean western was dominant and the better team but that's not without saying that queens had their chances to really make this a ball game and there are two moments in particular that really broke the game open it's important to remind everybody it was a 13-7 game at halftime here so as much as the score ended up out of whack um you know there was it was a huge moment coming out of halftime where Western was getting the ball first and Queens is able to force a quick three and out and they get the ball back around midfield. And this is the moment where, you know, there are a couple of moments like this in the game, but a moment where in the Queens section, we all start looking around like we're in a pretty good spot here right now. You know, we force that two and out. We're at midfield. We go score here and the pressure is really on first play the drive bad snap. And we're back deep in Queens territory. That is such a killer. It is such a killer. Drives dead. You give the ball back to Western, and guess what? Now they they're they're out of their own end. They're not pinned anymore. They have good field position. I think they drove down it. And it was a field goal or a touchdown, but they definitely score on the ensuing drive. Um, the second time is moving later in the third quarter. It's a two score game at this point, and Queens again was able to force Western into a second and long situation in their own end. And again, if we get the ball back, if we could just get it within a one-score game, you know, it's second and 15, you know, hey, maybe we can force a turnover or something on this play. Let's get a sack. Let's get a pick. Next thing you know, it's play action, and Seth Robertson's running 80 yards for a touchdown. So it's just, you know, Tom, I know Tom mentioned those jump ball plays. For me, those were the two real jump ball moments where, you know, you kind of had the chance to assert yourself there if you were Queens and Wesson just took the ball and ran away with it um, after both of those occasions. And I think the last point I wanted to make is, is that I feel like we're all so accustomed to this, this Western dominance. And, you know, it's been since Marshall got there, it's been the better part of the past 20 years, but it's, I think it's just important to highlight that this is not like some, some regular occasion for them to be going to Vanier cups as much as they have three in the past four years, the opportunity to make it four out of the past five. They weren't a team that were going to Vanier Cups in, in the rest of this, this century here. They'd only been to one in 2008 prior to, you know, the Chris Merchant years. So this is really, really Greg Marshall and this team at the peak of their powers um, and the basically almost as high as you can get in terms of greatness and success at this level. Obviously, Laval had a few great years there from like 2010 to 2014, but this is right up there with as good as you can be in the sport. So it's going to be really exciting to see what they can do going down the stretch here and really cement themselves again as one of sort of the great teams in the history of this game. Nate yeah, just, I, Nate, sorry, Nate just like levied a really positive comment towards the Western Mustangs <laughs> and didn't burst into flames. I'm proud of you, Nate. Tom, what do you want to say? Uh Last thing I wanted to say, just based off of, you know, something that I think we discovered in uh, yesterday in my basement, but as Greg Marshall, as a player and as a coach in, in his entire time in the OUA has won the Yates cup 22 times. That's more times than most of his players have been alive. <laughs> That is an insane statistic. The guy is just a winner. And it's so crazy to think of, like like Nate said, just like five or six years ago, 
everybody, when you bring up Greg Marshall was, yeah, he's good, but he's never won the big one. He hasn't won a Vanier cup. And now it's, he's got three, like you said, three and four years with a potential of making it four and five years. And just like whatever legacy that we thought that Greg had, where it was, oh, maybe he doesn't have this or doesn't have that. Like he's got everything that you could hope for and a potential for another Vanier cup. Like he is really one of the top tier coaches in the OUA, certainly certainly in the OUA, potentially in all of you sports history. And it's funny enough, maybe this is a good transition, but he's going to be going up against the other coach that is one of, if not the greatest coach in U sports history in Glenn Constantine. Well, absolutely. And, uh, you know, before, and, and I'll, I'll be curious to see exactly what we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about these games. You know, we'll, we we did not really talk about what our preview for the semis will be. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit sort of just about the, the teams that we're getting into these semis a little bit. Um, before we get into talking about Laval and Western and then, and St. Effects and Saskatchewan just a little bit, just to sort of set the table, if you will, Tom, what, what happened inside of you when, you saw the Laval knock out Montreal by a single point. What like what came like what came alive? What emotions were untapped? Like what was that experience like? Listen, obviously with my time at McMaster, I've had some experiences both with Laval and and Montreal, but specifically for me as a starter in the 2014 Vanier Cup and how that ended the sweet vindication <laughs> of Laval beating Montreal on one point on a rouge just warmed this cold heart of mine up so much. Catabin, you finally feel the pain that I felt. And congratulations to the Laval Rouge d'Or. Oh, dear. It's, that's such an also just such an amazing flex by you or any OUA guys to be like, I have some experience with Montreal and Laval. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you went to three Vanier Cups. We know. Um, so let's talk about this uh, U Sports semifinals. We say goodbye to our OUA season. Goodbye to the uh, Queens Golden Gales in 2022 and uh, move on to the uh, bowl games. To be honest, I always mix up which one is which. And I'm not even going to. Uh, one of you may uh, you know, know off top of your heads. Um, guess which of the uh, bowls this one is. But it's Laval. It's Western. You better bet your bottom dollar I am going to be in attendance for this matchup. I did. I was in attendance, Tom, when you played Laval in 2012, which... Wasn't a great football game, but and and as as nice as it was to be, as nice as it was to see Laval, <clears throat> pardon me, and 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 this isn't anything towards McMaster. It's there's something else like like as as an OUA nerd, the the notion that in just under a week's time I'm going to be sitting at Western Alumni Stadium. And I'm hoping it's a day like it is today in in, in London with the snow cascading down and, and and sort of settling on the field. Not like not any mushy, just slippery nonsense, but actually a nice pillowy surface. And to see the Rouge or on one side and the purple ponies on the other. Like I am getting chills. And it's not just because I left the window open and it's snowing here in London. Um, Nate, you when, when when we talked about London uh, the Mustangs that is going to Toronto and, and trying to salvage something of a commentary. You, you, you brilliantly brought up the, the imagery and like how, yeah, no Western at varsity stadium, like a night game. That's, that's awesome. And, and once again, I don't remember why I couldn't make it to that game, but that would have been just phenomenal to be in attendance for as, as you were just from the, the standpoint of the visual, like this is that, but on a whole other tier and strata, what do you what do you make of this Laval Rouge or team based on sort of like preliminary uh, research and digging that you've done or may know and just talk about what your feelings are about this matchup from the narrative standpoint? Yeah, I mean it's terrific. It's 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 you know it's it's box office. It's whatever you want to call it. These are two two of the best programs that we got um, and have had. You know what I mean. So and I thought you know even leaving the game, kind of the imagery of having Laval there in Western. I don't know why, but it feels like to me, I'm so used to seeing teams play in Quebec. Maybe that's because the Vanier's always been there, but I feel like to see them in a different environment is something that that will be really cool. Um, and I think it's a team that's, you know, frankly going to offer Western a few different problems than Queens had, for example, in particular, you look at the offense and I think, 
you know, just in general, it's much more explosive in terms of, you know, the passing game. And you have, you know, this this guy in Desjardins and, and Mittal, that connection there um, that ultimately, you know, set up them winning the game um, this past weekend in Montreal. And, and, you know, as much as I love Vreekin and Burton, you know, those guys have been on a different level this year. And I feel like there has been this narrative out in Quebec, if you keep eyes out there, that this is, you know, Laval's kind of them coming back here and asserting themselves because it has been Montreal for a little while out there. And, you know, I feel like this is, this is a huge spot for Laval to kind of, you know, I feel like all the eyes are on Weston right now. They're kind of, you know, the sexy team in, in, in youth sports. They've kind of been the class here for the past few years. And, and it's a spot for Laval to say, no, 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 don't, don't you forget about the past 15 years, fellas. Cause you know, we've been, We've been the studs in 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 this country, so um, you know I'm really excited for this one. I think you know definitely, you know probably more potential for a closer game here. I don't think I don't see Western pulling away by three touchdowns against this squad. Um, so you know, like you, I'm I'm ter- terribly excited for this game. Tom, you, you you know we obviously kind of joked about your familiarity with this Laval team, and we've talked about the amount of pressure that's on Western from the day it was announced they'd be hosting the Vanier Cup. And obviously no one wants uh, anything. No no one in this world wants to see them playing in that Vanier Cup more than Greg Marshall and his squad. But and so and as a result no one wants to win this game more. But the 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 idea is and Nate kind of talked about the, the bit of this rivalry of Western and Laval the last few years the notion that Glenn Constantine and his Laval Rougier have the opportunity to come into London and beat Western and then come back and perhaps win a Vanier on their turf after Western has won a few in Quebec City. I mean, oh, like the 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 proverbial the, the fruit of the proverbial narrative tree is just you know, it is just flush with, with, you know, this metaphor is getting way out of hand. What are your thoughts on, on this matchup? <laughs> uh, two storied programs. Certainly this is going to be like, this was one of those games where it's like, Oh, you know, it's, it's the Mitchell bowl. It's going to be in London. It's snowing. It's probably going to be cold. Western Laval are playing. Maybe I'll go to that. Maybe I will go to that because they're just two unbelievable programs. And let's not forget, way back in 2008, the first time that Greg Marshall brought his Western Mustangs to the Vanier Cup in Iverwin Stadium in Hamilton, uh, he played against the Laval Rouge Or and Laval put a beating on his Western Mustangs to the tune of 44 to 21. A very young, impressionable Tom Sterling was watching that game, understanding his first real taste of Laval Rouge Or football. And, uh, Getting able, being able to go out there in 2011, uh, we were brought out, McMaster was brought out to do an exhibition game out in uh, Quebec City. When I tell you that for a, an exhibition game, there were 9,000 people out watching us, booing us, wanting to make sure that they had some kind of an impact on an exhibition game of all things was absolutely insane. And if anything shows from their 2012 uh, victory in Toronto, the Laval fans travel. And so I would be real. I'm really interested to see how many Rouge or fans will travel down to London, Ontario and try to pack that place up. But um, you can't, you can't get more of a, on a bigger stage than Western and Laval, you know, um, something about this Laval program. And I'm interested to, to hear about what your thoughts are just in general, but the RSEQ MVP, is Kevin Mittal, the receiver for Laval. In my opinion, being a receiver as an MVP is almost the most impressive out of anything because you can get doubled or even triple covered in some certain cases. You can have defenses be completely around a certain star player like that. When you have a quarterback or like a running back, there's not it's not like you can do anything on the defensive side to keep them from getting the ball in their hands. Cause they're always guaranteed to get it, whether it's a, a handoff in the backfield or the quarterback just always having it. But like as a receiver, you need to make sure that your route running is unbelievable, that you've got the great hands to make those catches and always contested balls. And, you know, Mittal in the Dunsmore cup against a very good Montreal Caravan defense still has nine catches, 116 yards and three touchdowns. 
Like, in my opinion, like I said, having a receiver as the MVP is so impressive. And that goes to show Laval is Laval and they are going to play Western, probably the best game that we've seen all year. I, super quick, and I'll, I'll, I'll pass that, essentially pass that over to Nate as, as, as being a much more astute, um, you know, offensive mind than myself, particularly in, in the, the realm of the passing game. But you just mentioned 9,000 people coming out for that exhibition game. And, and once again, that's the, the great thing Laval does is, is, is calling their shot in, in the preseason of being like, who do we think we're going to have to take on? Let's bring them out and just like, you know, show them how we do things in Quebec. Um, the attendance, the official attendance of the Yates Cup on the OUA uh, website is 2,739 people um, <laughs> uh, compared to, as Tom was saying, 9,000 coming out to uh, a preseason game uh, for Laval. But uh, Nate, I, I just want to kind of just pass over Tom's thoughts to you having a better sense of, you know, what type of uh, performer this young man must be to not only put those results to, to come home with uh, a, a, um, a, a, an MVP, obviously for the OUA, we think of a guy like Curly Kittens, Curly Gittens Jr. Uh, when we talk about uh, a receiver winning an MVP and we all know what he's doing right now. You're about to be watching him do his thing uh, live in the Eastern uh, Finals today in the CFL. Obviously, folks will be listening to this the day after. Um, but yeah, what do you think about everything Tom said up there? Yeah, I mean, it's a different it's a different kind of challenge for, for that Western defense. You know what I mean? It's as much as we have great receivers in the OUA, you know, it's been a while since we saw a guy like Curly Giddens Jr. You know what I mean? And, you know, to go up against a guy like this, that again, Montreal's a team that's seen, that was the third time they've seen them this year. And this guy's still doing numbers on them. Like, and Wes is going to see them for the first time. And granted, you know, they did a great job limiting the big plays against Queens, but, you know, in large part, a lot of that had to do with the snow. That's a big question for me. Are we going to get snow again? Because I think that will play a huge role in kind of their ability to impact the game. But um, in terms of making plays on offense, that's kind of been, you know, a large part of how you you can beat Western is, is sort of a team that is able to throw the ball and throw the ball consistently, you know, sustain long drives, connect on some big plays, which we haven't seen against them for a while. And, you know, even if when it's not the traditional deep bomb, it's a guy who can make plays after the catch and, you know, someone who you're scared of on every single play, um, it makes such a big difference going up against someone like that. And, and you know, I think it'll be really fascinating to see a team that's effectively been able to shut everyone else they've seen down on that all year, come up against someone who quite literally is in a different league than them. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, can we- I, can I, I want to ask you guys a question because, you know, not everyone that that played OUA football or watches OUA football has had the opportunity to to win a Yates Cup and be in a national semifinal. So I, you know, I was just for the fans out there, it's curious to get your guys' insights to what it is kind of you win that Yates Cup and sort of what changes going into a national semifinal week in terms of the mentality, the practices, the film preparation, because I feel like it's something that might be, you know, completely different in terms of ramping things up. I mean, I'm just I'm really curious as to how that experience is for you guys and sort of what what the differences are there if I may go uh, first on that Tom because I think uh, my experience uh, being part of a Yates Cup winning team is a complete uh, parallels or or contrasts to what we saw in 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 what Western did yesterday in a very specific way which is this Um, my time at Guelph pretty well just spanned the Stu Lang era and save for the first year I came in in 2011 or two and six season um, though in a lot of those losses there were were all those little things of like okay like they're they're, you know we're seeing some stuff and like you know we were recruiting really well bringing so many guys from London Um, it's just you know that became like the the major uh, core of, of what made that team so so good but you know we go we go six and two we lose to tom in 2012 in the yates 2013 i I think we might have gone or no sorry it might have been seven and one i forget but a lot of seven one six and twos um two appearances in a yates both losing to tom um and then just uh you know sort of a, a, a lack you know a lackluster 2013 year where we lost to queens in i think the oua semis and finally getting to that yates here in london in 2015 and 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 finally getting to raise that trophy and Stu Lang is a big um, quotes 
person and, and, and like all coaches you know you're gonna have what's your sort of mantra and it changed over over the years there and and the one that we um you know, finally, we're the, the one we were kind of donning when we finally won was this idea of go beyond. Like we've kind of we've seen our limitations year after year, and we need to finally go beyond and invoking another one that we had in years past of plant the flag and finally accomplish it. And I think for us, that goal of of that achievement of winning the Yates of beating Western, even though historically, as we've kind of joked about in the pods for the Guelph teams I was a part of, beating Western was actually something we were pretty good at. Um, when we ended up hosting Montreal in the uh, in the national semis, you know they they very they handled us <laughs> pretty pretty easily, and part of me felt like, and this is where I'm getting to the contrast with what we saw with Western, where, and this is where once again when when people like our good friend Dakota Vine will give me crap about the fact that we got rings for that 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 was really that was in many ways kind of our Vanier. Um, that was such a, to, to finally make that achievement that that's all what Stu Lang won to win a Yates for Guelph. And we did that, you know, we've kind of talked about that in some of the other, in the earlier playoff matchups, the idea of that, like, like in the, I think we talked about in the reality of say Laurier beating Western in the semifinal, how do you recover from that? And then go play a Yates cup at Queens or at Ottawa. Like, how do you emotionally recover from that? And I think that's kind of where we were at. And what we saw from Western and Nate, you were in person seeing it. Me and Tom's watching on TV. They they take that final snap victory formation, take the knee, and this was kind of my comment going into the game. It's just another game for the Western Mustangs. So where they're at is much different from where we were at. Tom, you once, as we said, had a few more games in those national semifinals and those Vanier Cups than I did. So now I'm very curious to pass Nate's question along to you and get your take. One of the things that I love the most about the coaching staff at McMaster and how we kind of handle things is it's so, like you said, winning the Yates Cup, just getting out of Ontario is a huge accomplishment. And the Yates Cup is one of the greatest trophies in all of football. I love it so much. And so you get on the top of that mountain, you know, in 2011, we beat Western and then 2012 and 2014, we beat uh, Guelph Griffins in order to, uh, to attain that. And you're, you're on the highest of highs. It's so amazing. It's, you know, fantastic. You're, you know, drinking with the trophy and everything else. And then you come in on Sunday and you watch the film and you you're grading yourself and you're making sure that everything is, is kind of good. And then after that Sunday, the Yates cup is now over and it's on to the next week. But the thing that I loved the most about uh, Mac and my experiences there is that Coach Potasic and the rest of the staff did everything they possibly could to make it so that next game was the exact same as preparing for a week two or week three matchup. So every single thing that we did was the exact same. Here's practice. Here's game film. Here's everything that we do. It's, it's just like another week. This is a larger opponent. It's a bigger stage for sure. Maybe we're in a hotel and we're not practicing on our own field again, but it's the same process. The same thing that we did that made us successful in the Yates. We're going to continue to do that in the Mitchell or the UTEC. And then uh, once again, in the Vanier Cup. And it's very difficult to keep your same routines, especially when you're like in a, a hotel or having to travel or doing whatever else and watching game film. And suddenly you don't recognize the players on the field because they're not OUA players. They're players from RSEQ or, or the AUS or Canada, Canada West, but understanding and being able to break things down is something that, uh, you know, our coaching staff did a really great job of keeping everything relatively the same for us. Obviously as players, you know, you're going and you're doing your own game film, your own, your own watch to do that little bit extra, but for the most part, it's the same regular week and you're just preparing for it as anybody normally would. There also is an element, I think, of uh, just to sort of make this a little more understandable for the for for those who didn't have the experience of like when you're playing the original Pokemon Blue and Red and, and you get through the Elite Four and, and, you're, and your squad is, you know, real banged up and whatever. And you're like, ah, oh, yeah, I did it. And then what my my arch rival is, is sitting now. I got to go take him down. Gary, what? I didn't know you were getting it's. It's like you made it as you were saying about you make it out of the OUA and you're like, oh, we did it. We did. Oh, wait, Laval, who? What? So, um, but yeah, um, 
let's talk a little bit and and, and I, I think we will still have to do a, we'll do a bit of a preview we'll, you know we will do our preview and and do a little more detail but you know um let's put the mitchell aside just for for a moment and just say a few words about what we have going on on the other uh, side of, of the uh, U-Sports Semi in the UTEC where we have the Saskatchewan Huskies um, taking on St. Effects. Um, you know, obviously, AUS football has been in a bit of a fallow period for quite some time. Um, friend of the show, Zach Benson, who was helping out with the C2C, uh, we were trying to get off the ground early this year um, as our AUS correspondent you know, was pretty early on highlighting that, yeah, Sane FX is like without a doubt going to be the team making it out. Um, Tom, you and I caught the tail end of Saskatchewan UBC. Um, two quick things I'll say and then just see what you guys have to say about either of these teams just sort of once again in a more table setting manner and we can maybe talk a little more thoroughly later in the week talk so much about how when we get to this stage of U sports football it's really the play in the trenches that becomes um you know it's it's of no surprise that all these teams are going to have outstanding play on their offensive and defensive lines and when we're watching that broadcast out of can west which gotta say on this pod i gotta have it on on tape holy cow it's so much better than the OUA broadcasts and that's not a shot at any of the broadcasters that we get you know Tom mentioning when we were talking beforehand just like Jack Moore is as good as it gets probably in all of like um, amateur broadcasting if you will I mean I don't know I know he does some other broadcasting as well that maybe would blended into the professional realm but nonetheless just as far as the the people that we get week in week out but the the, the camera shots the angles the sideline reports all these things it is amazing and yes i would absolutely pay what ten dollars a week or a hundred dollars for the year to have that quality but in that broadcast that part week that we caught they were highlighting actually about ubc their offensive line a i don't remember the individual's name having one guy who was uh getting nfl looks but having like both their tackles being like six eight three thirty or whatever like no one under six four six five um and of course saskatchewan it was tight when we tuned in but seemingly just like handled their business against these giants um so that's the first point second point about saskatchewan being that if our does end up being western versus saskatchewan the battle of saskatchewan huskies offensive lineman austin haas versus western mustang defensive lineman bruce moss oh you better bet we're printing t-shirts boys haas versus moss 2022 let's go um Nate, what 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 are your thoughts on uh, the action we're going to be seeing? Just sort of briefly with these two clubs in Sask and Saint Effects. Yeah, my eyes are going to be on 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 Saskatchewan for the most part. I mean, you know, credit to Saint Effects for 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 winning the conference and everything like that. You know, obviously you have you have kind of a terrific team there, and the running back in particular is terrific. But I mean, you highlight the size thing, and I think that's sort of in watching these games over the past few years is is a big thing to highlight. Is just you know, those AUS teams, they just aren't as big as sort of the guys in Quebec or the guys out West usually. Um, and that usually it causes a lot of problems. And for a team that, you know, has relied heavily on the run game, you know, I know they have a pretty good quarterback there as well. But for a team that, you know, the focus has been the run game for most of the year um, against this big Saskatchewan front. And, you know, on offense, they're just as good, right? I mean, you have Riker Frank sitting there in the backfield and, and, you know, their heck Creighton candidate there and Mason Niles, who's put together, you know, a tremendous couple of years there. I think, you know, for me, it's 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 a Saskatchewan rolling and kind of, you know, I think uh, it's just it's just a matter of how confident we are in them kind of heading into the heading into the Vanya Cup. Yeah. And, and, and Tom, you know, once again, we'll talk more about this. Um We were kind of talking about what a task it is. Well, it, how, how much of a task it would have been for UBC? to have to go all the way out to um, St. Francis and then come back and then if, if they win and then have to go back to London, um, obviously for Saskatchewan, still quite a bit of traveling to do. And, and Nate did sort of allude to Malcolm Busey for St. Effects, the, the stud running back that they have um, they have out there. I mean, you know, we talked about all the great runners that we had in the OUA this year. I mean, it goes, if you look at the U sports leaders, it goes, Keon Edwards, J.P. Simonkinda, Quentin Scott, and then Busey there at fourth as far as just yards per game. Um, so, you know, nothing to be taken uh, for granted as far as what they can offer. And when you add in um, what a travel um, 
uh, Saskatchewan's going to do. Like, what do you what do you make of this game in general? And you know, we obviously, you know, when we talked about Carlton and Windsor a bit, we love to talk about the the travel aspect. Do you think that's going to factor in at all, or is that just at this point you know that's you know Can West they they know they know how to deal with traveling to begin with. That's just part of the deal playing out there. Yeah, I think you hit the the nail on the head at the last part there. Like anytime you are in Can West, you have to be traveling. You have to be in a in a plane. Like with the Saskatchewan team, you've got like the University of Regina that you could take a bus to, and then everything else is a flight. So you have to be on the plane. You have to know how to deal with how to win on the road, how to be out of your own uh, territory, and understand travel and what's the best way that you can get prepared for something along those lines. I think before you even look at the specifics between Saskatchewan and with St. FX, you have a team in St. FX that loves to run the ball and you have a team in Saskatchewan that is very good at passing. And Mason Nias, uh, in my opinion, might be, you know, the heck Crichton. I think it's going to be between him and Keon Edwards, quite honestly. Be, uh, but Mason has put together a really fantastic campaign this 2022 season. And you can even see in his last game, you know, 22 for 28, 232 yards, a touchdown and one pick. But like the kid can throw the ball and 22 for 28, especially in Saskatchewan, where it was, I think it was minus 15 or something along those lines. I think uh, it certainly wasn't ideal scenario for throwing the ball and they were able to get it done. So uh, Mason is somebody who you really have to watch for. But when you have a team that likes to run versus a team that likes to pass, if that team who likes to run doesn't score and doesn't score often, that makes it so that you have to get out of your run, uh, you know, normal game plan and get into a passing attack that you might not be nearly as confident in. You know, they had uh, the quarterback Silas 11 for 21, 161 yards and one pick against Mount Allison. It's, you know, nothing really to sneeze at, but then you can look at uh, Malcolm Busey and he's got 20 attempts. So they are committed to running the ball, 116 yards and a touchdown with a long of 30 yards. So they are, pounding the ball and trying to do anything that they can in order to establish that run game, which is fine and good if you're tied or you're winning. But suddenly if you're down by a touchdown, two touchdowns, three touchdowns, you have to get out of that. You have to start scoring. You have to start scoring often. And I just don't know if St. FX has the talent in the back end to in order to keep up with Saskatchewan if Saskatchewan is able to get up early. Which I think like we can tie back into what we just saw in the Yates Cup, going back to Alex Freakin having to throw 33 times in that game, which certainly was not how, if you were to see whatever the game plan for Queens to win that game would look like, it probably didn't involve him throwing uh, that many more times than they ended up rushing the ball. I don't... Well, I think at this point we can pretty well save any more in-depth comments on all these matchups for later in the week. The last thing I just want to, you know, sort of turn our attention to, and I probably could have saved this, but it's sort of right in front of me. You know, it came to mind talking about, you know, how uh, effective Busey was as a runner out, out east this year and how uh, aside from him, well, our, you know, in our sort of top four, we have so many OUA guys just owning the rushing leaderboards across you sports. Um, but we're talking about how great the the offensive lines are and how great these uh, other athletes are in the other conferences. And, and Nate, something that you had brought up um, a bit when we talked about some of the, the quarterback play this year in in the OUA. I mean, we've mentioned uh, you know Mason's name, uh, talking about Desjardins at Laval. You know, guys who are, and I know it doesn't all come down to just like yards per game. And we obviously talked about some of the weapons that, particularly who Desjardins has in, 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 to, to be able to, 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 to target. But for Mason, 344 yards per game, Desjardins 319. I mean, I feel like that, that takes me back to some comments you were making about like, you know, we had good quarterback play this year for sure. You know, uh, as far as just the raw numbers, Duick and DeYoung by process of just like, to what Tom was saying, when you can't get your run game going, you kind of have to. But I almost feel like, just in the perspective of like, as much as OUA quarterbacks didn't necessarily stack up in raw numbers to what we saw, like it's not we're not far from having dudes and like once again that's plural like dudes in an OUA season having years closer to that type of production. No, you're absolutely right, and and you know it's as much as you want like. You think of who who those guys would be, 
for example, who who would be the quarterbacks? Who are the most talented quarterbacks? Let's say you look at Evan Hillock, right? But then you look at the rushing stats, and he's got his two teammates there in the top five. So there isn't a ton of room for him to be producing a ton of other offense to get up there. I mean, unless Western was scoring 70, 60, 70 points every game. Um, and you look at Queens, you know, I think James Keenan, freaking those are talented guys. You know, I'll throw Duick's name in the mix, you know, maybe even DeYoung a little bit. But to me, I would be concerned if I didn't see our guys in the rushing categories, because let's be real, we got we were four or five there, right? So I think it's a clear um, trend in terms of the style of football that we're seeing in the OUA, and it has been obviously a shift um, from when I played, from when you guys played, from back when we saw you know the Danny Brannigans and Mike Falls of the worlds cutting up defenses, and it's just you know a style of play thing, and you know I do wonder if we put our best guys in those offenses how they would do. I can't say for sure, you know what I mean, but I don't think it's it's for lack of talent or anything like that. I just think, you know, in the past couple of years, the OUA has become, you know, almost the SEC of sort of the aughts and 2010s there before they brought in those sick OCs to Alabama, where it's, it's just been grounded pound and let's play defense because, you know, the quarterbacks have have absolutely, you know, sat in the backseat a little bit here for the past couple of years. I... I... I think you accidentally gave us a great off season little bit of content where we definitely need to do like some fake o- like OUAU sports trades and just think of like oh how does if we swap you know Desjardins with you know Evan Hillock or we do it you know what whatever that might be and also you mentioning talking about the styles and of course styles make fights and we have two epic fights coming up next weekend that we'll set up in more detail uh later in the week as we set up the Mitchell and the UTech um leading us to the Vanier that'll be here in London and you know what actually on the point about London you know we've seen obviously the the Greg Marshall coaching tree expand outwards into other programs uh in the OUA and that might be part of what you're getting at there Nate where it's just everyone's kind of just saying like hey how can we best emulate what Western does? Because clearly what Western does is just win championships and wear some pretty wicked purple uniforms. Um, so congratulations to the Western Mustangs, your 2022 Yates Cup champions. We'll break down their matchup with Laval in more detail later in the week, as well as a little more look into a little more thorough look into that Saint effects and uh, Saskatchewan matchup. So we'll talk to you then at the 55.